Well, welcome everybody. Thank you for uh, joining us here at Grace Online. And thanks for taking the time to, uh, to watch this conversation, to be a part of what's happening throughout the family of Grace and making sure that that's a, a priority in your week and in your life. I'm grateful for it. Uh, last time we were together, uh, we introduced this idea of connecting to each other. Uh, here for many years at Grace, we said you need to pray for your three, three people that you would pray for by name every day that God will give you the opportunity to have a no-brainer moment to share the reason for the hope that's within you or to share your faith with them. So pray for your three. And we introduced just last week this idea of meet with your two. And the Bible says that where two or more are gathered together, Christ is among them. And so during this time when we're separated from each other, uh, to meet together with two, three, four people, read parts of the Bible together, read a book together, or maybe jump into an existing group here at Grace, a life group, a connect group. There's a ton of them, but we encourage you to meet with your two and pray for your three. Meet with your two, pray for your three. And so we would want you to do that and wanna help you do that if you're not sure where to start. So I uh, encourage you to do this right now. If you're, if you're watching on your phone, just click over to uh, your messaging. If you're watching on your screen somewhere, grab your phone and text this, text JOIN to 75787. The word JOIN to 75787. And if you're not sure where to start connecting and meeting your two, or where to bump into each other, or how to get into a group, or maybe even what material you guys might go through together, we'll send you some things that will help resource that. And we'll keep you in that flow, and we would love to do that. So it's great that we're meeting for services, and we want you to meet in person with each other, whether you're doing that by Zoom or in your living room, we want you to pray for your three, meet with your two, and connect. So if we can help with that, text JOIN to 75787. Now we're talking about that because of the series that we're in right now, regardless of circumstances. And we're looking and saying, man, regardless of what's going on around us, the, the church of Jesus needs to continue to be the church of Jesus. And the church of Jesus has always been alive and active, even in the most difficult of circumstances that history has ever thrown at us. Uh, we've even thrived during that time. And so we're kind of saying that here at Grace, both individually and corporately, that regardless of what's going on around us, no matter how long we're under COVID restrictions, no matter how disrupted our culture and society is, and no matter how disrupted our personal life is, uh, we need to continue to be the people that God has called us to be. And we've talked about that the last couple of, of, of times together. And so the podcast, then back episodes on YouTube or online, you can catch up on those details. But this time together, I wanna talk about how we go through this time as Christ followers. How do we do that? And how do we allow God to do a deep work or a refining work in our, in our lives? As I've watched kind of things happen with COVID and maybe over the years, just being a pastor, watched lots and lots of people, wonderful people go through very, very difficult times. It's always fascinating to me how Christ followers will approach 
those difficult times. Uh, some will go through those difficult times and they will embrace a, a tragedy or an ordeal and they will find their faith in a, in a deeper way during those times. It, it's almost as if the more that God throws at them, the stronger their relationship with God becomes and the more certain they become of their, of their faith. Now, the opposite is true too, right? So I've watched folks who seem to be steady and anchored in their faith, same kind of tragedies, events, trials, disruptions, kind of fill in your blank there. They'll go through those same, almost identical sets of circumstances and it will pull them away from their faith. And they'll become cynical and resentful and even bitter and angry at God because of the, of the circumstances that they were asked to go through or that they would perceive that God allowed to have happen in their life. And so I see that through all of this, right? As I watch us go through COVID-19 as individuals and as a church family, uh, some of us almost naturally will anchor up with each other. We'll kind of draw closer to Christ, our faith will deepen, and we'll draw closer to each other. And then there's others of us that are, are moving away from God's people and away from even Christ himself. That some of those habitual processes in our lives, going to church, worship, small groups, those kind of things, that we kind of depended on to energize or to focus or, or to maintain our spiritual walk, as those are pushed away, our faith kind of is pushed away with it. And sometimes it's into distraction or just kind of out of sight, out of mind, but sometimes it goes further with a cynicism, a resentment, or even a, an aggressive stance against God of looking and saying, why did I need all this anyways? Kind of nothing worked out for me the way that I wanted it to work out. So as a Christ follower, as I'm approaching circumstances, this becomes a big deal, right? And understanding what the difference is between kind of person A who draws closer to Christ and person B who moves away from Christ, what is happening in their heart and in their mind that's kind of driving those responses? And I would submit to you that the, the difference in perspective in those two individuals is the depth of trust that they have in Christ. And person A is able to trust or even chooses to trust God, his heart, his mind, his sovereignty, his power. Person B, that trust is eroded or neglected or set aside. And the difference in those relationships is the depth and the determination of that trust. Now it's fascinating, this is not a new conversation for the people of God, because most of the history of the church has been played out during trials and tribulations. It's kind of the normal place that the church has, was given birth and the normal place that the people of God have lived. In fact, we've been looking a lot at 1 Peter because 1 Peter was written to that early church who was just kind of getting their feet on the ground, lots of persecution, lots of disruptions, lots of trials. And it's interesting as the apostle Peter is speaking on God's behalf, what he even says to those first followers of Jesus. He says this in 1 Peter chapter four, 
He says, dear friends, we could put in there Christ followers. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So you have people who have found the hope and the love and, and the truth of Jesus Christ. They're excited about that. They've locked into that. And the immediate circumstance that often follows that discovery of who Christ is are trials and tribulations. And those folks are looking at Peter, who's a leader in the church, and they're saying, what, what in the world? How can I find something so powerful and life-giving and then go through such difficult times? If I found the truth, wouldn't that truth set me free from these circumstances? And Peter leans into them and begins to shape this truth with them. He says, it's not as though something strange is happening to you. This is the normal course of life and even circumstances that Christ followers would engage and even be called to endure from time to time. Now that teaching is true today. There's nothing unusual about people who follow Christ going through difficult or disruptive circumstances. There's nothing unusual about Christ followers being hated even for what we believe or what we hold on to. There's nothing unusual about that at all. In fact, if you look at the scripture, it's kind of the norm, right? Now I would venture to say that teaching about following Jesus is probably not the most popular teaching that's going around today, right? There's lots and lots of false teaching, lots of what the old-fashioned word would be heresy, that would say that all God wants to do is bless you. He wants to give you your hopes, your dreams. He wants to give you the desires that you have on this earth. In fact, the sign of God's blessing for you is that you become wealthier and more prosperous and everything kind of goes your way. And when you go into the scripture, you will not find that. It's a false teaching. It's a misrepresentation and interpretation of scripture. What you will find is teaching after teaching after teaching from Christ, from the apostles, from the prophets. What you will find all through scripture is more akin to this. That there's nothing weird about fiery ordeals that you are going through. In fact, we'll see here in a minute, these fiery ordeals actually enhance your ability to know and to love and to follow Christ. Now that's huge because I would argue that a misunderstanding of what it's like to really follow Christ, if I have an understanding in my mind that Jesus is the answer to all of my earthly problems and he will make them go away, he will vacate my credit card debt and my relational problems and everything that I ever dealt with, if that's my idea, then I will walk through life in a constant state of disillusionment about my relationship with Christ. If I don't have a proper understanding of what it's really like to know and follow and love Jesus, and then a proper understanding of his heart and mind, why does he take me through these things? Why does he allow that? Then I will have a relational breakdown, an erosion of trust in my relationship with him. 
That's why person A, who goes through an ordeal and it causes them to draw closer and closer and closer to Christ, a big reason why that happens is because they expected that and understood what God was doing in that process. Person B never expected that, doesn't understand, and so they resent a path that they never wanted or signed up to go down, right? So this, this time together, I wanna walk us through a little bit about what's actually happening when we go through disruptive times. And I want us to see what the Bible says, and then I want us to understand how that plays out in our life and how we can respond to it so that trials and ordeals deepen our relationship with Christ, which is their purpose, as opposed to eroding it and pushing it away. So grab a Bible if you got it, and let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can use websites or, of course, things there on your phone. 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's let Peter, he, same guy who said don't be surprised by it, he's going to walk this early church through what God is doing and why he is doing it. Okay, so he says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He starts off and he says, in essence, guys, in order to understand what's happening to you and to get your head around it so that you can navigate it, you have to anchor down in your relationship with God and remember what that relationship is and what God did for you in it. He says it this way, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So if I'm gonna go through difficult times and I'm gonna come out of that stronger in my relationship with Christ, the first thing I have to remember is my relationship with Christ and how that relationship was gifted to me. Peter says, we're gonna praise God because in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. He has given us new birth. My salvation was never earned. My salvation cannot be retained by my own good deeds. This is huge, ready? My salvation is a gift. I did nothing to earn my salvation. I do nothing to retain my salvation. I only was gifted my salvation by God. God loves you. And he loves you because he chose to love you. And that loving God has a standing invitation that's on the table for you. If you will recognize that you are far from God, then you will be able to recognize that God wants to draw near to you. Jesus came, he lived, he died on the cross, and he did that to provide our salvation, but not just to like get us out of hell. That's just a part of it. He gave us a salvation of our whole life so that everything in my life has a higher purpose. Everything in my life has an eternal value. Everything in my life has a deeper meaning. Everything in my life has a firm foundation. I can be fulfilled. 
I can have happiness, I can have joy, I can have contentment, and none of that is a result of my circumstances. All of that is a result and a consequence of Christ's love for me. How do I get God on my side? He's already there. He wants to be on your side. The invitation's on the table. The only thing stopping that relationship from happening is you receiving what God has, wants to do for you. And when we receive the forgiveness of our sin and we place our life under the definition and direction of Jesus Christ, all of those gifts come rushing in to us, these spiritual gifts. And it's God's great mercy that drives that. These gifts are given to us. I don't earn them and I don't retain them. Now this is big because in my salvation with Jesus, I'm not making a deal with Jesus. Jesus, I'll stop sm smoking, drinking, chewing if you save my soul. Jesus would look at you and say, no deal. Well, what if I go to church a thousand times? Then will you save my soul? No deal. What if I, what if I give a million dollars? Then will you save my soul? No deal. What do I have to do, Jesus, to have you save my soul? Accept my offer of a relationship with you. Accept a gift. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do. You cannot get yourself to that standard. But you can receive it, see? And because we enter into a deal with God in our minds, we have this mindset that God owes us. I did this, God, you have to do this. And if you do not define my circumstances this way, then I am not obligated to follow you anymore. Peter starts off with folks who, they probably struggled in the same way, right? They, they probably had a lot of the same mindset, like because it's new to them, they're figuring it out. They're trying to get their head around it. And they were kind of raised in a system that worked like that. And they're trying to figure out, but I thought I went in and I thought life would play out this way. And Peter says, eh, careful. Let's remember, we didn't make a contract with God, see. We didn't make a deal with God. God gave his unconditional, completely abiding love to us. And that's the basis of our relationship with him, right? Not something that he owes us or that we owe him. He goes on and he says, this is the way you want this, guys. This is the way you want this. Because this is all played out. God has given us through Jesus Christ and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He goes on, he says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. Peter says, that's the way you want it to play. You want it to play that way. If this was a deal, you've blown this deal up a thousand times. Now you lose your salvation every time you blow the deal up. If this was a deal, if this was about your performance for me, then you would be so far in spiritual debt, you'd never get out of it. Even if there was a purgatory, you could never be in it long enough to pay your debt off. See? This inheritance is given, 
It's a gift and it comes from the mercy of God and it's given and it's kept for us. I don't have to keep it. I don't have to retain my salvation. Christ keeps my relationship with him alive. It's his mercy. It's his grace. It's his, it's his passion to forgive and to restore me that keeps that inheritance alive. Not my performance. I can't buy it and I can't retain it. He gave it and he keeps it and he shields it for me. Now, off of that foundation then, Peter starts talking to the early church. He says, guys, if you don't understand this, then what I'm about ready to say isn't gonna make any sense. Because if you think that this is all about like a deal that you made with God, then everybody's keeping tabs and, and your tab is too high or God's tab is too low and, and it feels like a contract's broken, you walked away. But if you understand that this is really a one-way street, this is God's mercy, God's power, God's grace flowing to you continually, given and kept by Christ for you. If you have that foundation, that understanding, then what I'm about ready to say will make sense. So Peter goes on because they're talking about like, hey, our lives a little disrupted. What do I do in this, right? So he goes on and he says this, he goes, I want you to get something. In all this, you, you greatly rejoice. All what? All the fact that my salvation is given and kept by God, okay? So I rejoice in all that. Isn't it a good thing that's not dependent on me? So now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds. So he starts to help them to get their head around it. Don't forget, this is your salvation. Isn't that good news? Now, in the short term, life is rough and life is difficult and life is confusing and circumstances are disruptive. So in the, in the short term, for a little while, you may have to have suffered grief in all kinds of trials, everything from COVID-19 to the sting of death to the frustration of relationships and finances. You name it, it's there. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is huge. Ready? So Peter says, let's remember our relationship with God. It's all God. It's got really nothing to do with us except we receive it. He says, so we rejoice in that. Woo! God's got it. Now I have to live life because I'm not in heaven yet to enjoy the fullness of my reward. So I'm going to live life. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to go through some difficult times. There's all kinds of trials. Everything from the trivial to the tragic is going to be a part of my life. Those trials are allowed in my life. And then he says something really, really weird. They have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith which is more valuable than the organization and blessing of your circumstances, right? So Peter says, those come so that your faith is strengthened, your faith is proven genuine, so that you may result in praise, honor, and glory to Jesus Christ. 
so that your relationship and proclamation of Jesus is stronger than it has ever been before. Why would God give us or allow us to be a part of circumstances that are difficult so that we could have a genuineness of faith? What is Peter talking about? And what is he trying to help people get their head around? Okay. This is the way this works, guys. We never truly believe something until that belief is tested. We never truly believe something until that belief is tested. And when that belief is tested and that test is passed, that belief becomes more genuine and cemented and firm in our hearts than it could have ever been without the trial, right? I, I would argue that no one truly believes in heaven until they're committing someone to heaven's care. And suddenly when I have to decide what do I believe about salvation? What do I believe about life after death? What do I believe about the hope of Christ? Until I'm faced with that, I never truly form and cement those beliefs. I, I don't ever trust God is my provider until I'm dependent on God to provide for me. I can say it, but it's a platitude. All things belong to God. God is my provider. But when I am in a circumstance in which I cannot do for myself, suddenly what I actually believe about God's provision will be tested. It will be proven genuine. See, I will never truly be able to trust God to define and direct my life until God has to define and direct my life. So we see this all the time, right? People who would say, I, I grew up in the church. I believe in Jesus. I'm the most involved kid in the youth group that there's ever been. The minute that they go off to college and all of those parameters that cause that faith to be habitual are pulled away and they have to believe it for themselves. So many of them lose their faith. Why? Because it was never tested. They never had to rely on it. They only had to participate in a system. See? And this is a big part of what's happened through COVID-19. Many of us, the system has been pulled away. The support mechanisms that have, have been pulled away. And now suddenly we're having to decide for the first time, well, what is it that I believe? Do I, do I believe that God is sovereign? Do I believe that I'm a citizen of heaven or that all of my identity and worth and safety is tied up in my earthly citizenship? Do I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is his bride and his family and it's worthy of my time, energy, money, and attention? Do, do I actually believe those things? Because I don't have to act on them. Circumstances are testing that. And until they're tested, 
then they're never really proven genuine. This is what's happening. They're greatly rejoicing in the salvation of Jesus Christ. But that salvation, that belief has caused disruption, trials, suffering. And they're earthly, but they're all kinds, all kinds of grief. Why would God allow this? Why doesn't he just make life go perfectly if we put our faith in Jesus? Because he's allowing our faith to be proven genuine. And that's not, I want you to catch this, it's so important, look at me, look at me. Whatever you're doing, set your phone down, look at your screen, ready? That testing is not for him, it's for you. Proving your faith genuine is not for God. God knows already. Having your faith being proved genuine is for you so that you know, do I truly believe this? You know, do I truly value this? You know, is this where God would have me? And for many of us throughout this whole process, that's what we've discovered about ourselves. I can say that I believe the Bible all day long, but until I'm in a difficult marriage, I don't know what I believe. I can say that I'm all for the church of Jesus until it's difficult to be together or stay together or act together. And then I don't know what I believe. And that testing isn't so that you can prove your fervor for God and earn points. It's all been given and it continues to be given to you. That testing is so that you can gauge the depth of your relationship and trust and affection for Christ. See? It's a gift from God to you so that you're able to look and say, do I understand the first part appropriately and correctly? Because if, I, if my faith is tested, and I throw it away because I don't like the pressure, then I probably created my relationship with God on the wrong foundation. If my faith is tested, and what I see in the midst of that test is the love and the mercy and the power and the provision and the shielding of God, regardless of my circumstances, I probably have a clear understanding of where my salvation comes from and what it actually is. It's not a test that you pass or that I pass to receive our salvation. It's a test of our beliefs, what we actually think, what we actually want, and what we will actually give our lives to. Peter looks at the early church and he says, guys, your salvation is a gift. It's not a contract. Your salvation and your retention in the faith, your, the mercies that are made new to you every morning by God are gifts from God. They are not debts that you must pay. You have it all backwards if you think that. 
And if you have believed that because you've created the right contract with God, that if you do X, Y, Z, God will do A, B, C, and that is the foundation of your relationship, Peter would in essence look at you and say, that is not a true salvation. The Apostle Paul would say that is a salvation by works, not by grace. When trials come, that relationship and those beliefs are pushed into. Will they hold up? Are they tempered? Do they have the, the structural integrity to hold up? And the passing of that test is not so that you can prove your worth to God. The passing of that test is so that you can understand your relationship with God. What did I actually sign up for? What do I actually believe? Where do I think faith actually comes from? Is it truly a gift that is given and maintained and empowered by God? Or do I kind of think I earned it? Therefore, I kind of deserve some dividends on that investment. See? And I'll be honest with you that over the years, as, as I've interacted with folks going through grief and trials of all kinds, those who grow deeper and stronger and closer to Christ are those who have passed through that fiery ordeal, had their faith tested, and what was revealed was that they always understood what a relationship with Christ actually was, a gift from him. Those who go through those same sets of circumstances and move further and further away, and they went through the fiery ordeal, the testing of their faith, what was revealed in that test was that they never signed up for this. You were supposed to make me happy. You were supposed to prosper me. You were supposed to heal me. You were supposed to cause me to escape all pain. And you didn't. And because I signed up for you to do that and you broke the deal I thought we made, the testing reveals what that relationship was actually built on. Now, isn't it a loving God? I want you to catch this, look at me. Isn't it a loving God who would allow you to understand that now as opposed to waiting to the moment that you're standing in front of him. Isn't it a loving God who would look and say, let me allow some earthly circumstances to make sure that you got your relationship with me figured out because today is the day of salvation. When you die and you're standing before me, it's too late to figure this stuff out. So let me help you figure it out now so that you're not surprised in the end. It's a loving God see, who would test that 
before he puts you into it. I was talking to one of our pastors the other day. He's building a playhouse for his daughter. Apparently, it's the Taj Mahal of all playhouses. It's the biggest playhouse ever. And uh, the pastor who's building it, it's a pretty big guy, played football in college. And we were talking about building this playhouse. And he said, I built it. And then what I did was I got in it and I bounced on it. And he said, I figured if it could hold me, it could hold a five-year-old. Testing that structure is a loving act from a loving father. I don't want my daughter there without her knowing and I knowing that it's safe for her to be there. Allowing our faith to be tested and to be proven genuine is a loving act of a loving father. Trials allow that testing to occur. And it's meant to clarify my relationship with Christ. See. What is this test revealed? What's it revealed? It's a legit question. And I'm trying to ask it lovingly. What's it revealed about your faith? What's it revealed about your trust? What's it revealed about your priorities? What's it revealed about your belief systems? What's it revealed? And that revelation is not there to shame you or guilt you or scorn you. It's an act of love. Let's bounce on this thing a couple times and see if it holds up. But as you think and you pray and you understand what has come out through this whole process, my view of God, my trust of his heart and his mind. When I know that stuff, I'm able to surrender it back to Christ, yield it again to him, trust him anew, prepare and learn for the next trial. And the end result of all of that is that because of this trial, I will be closer, deeper, closer to God, closer to God's people, deeper in my belief. If I can go through this, ain't nothing moving me. More certain, proven genuine, more certain. I know that I know that I know that I know. See? And a loving God has allowed a difficult test that will only be for a little while, but will result in a spiritual blessing and reward. Jesus, help us with this. It's hard for all of us. None of us really like it. It's even hard for us to understand it but you love us enough to make it real. So Holy Spirit, in these still moments at home or on the jog or in the kitchen, wherever anybody's watching or listening to this, would you press into their hearts right now? Show them the results of the test and help them, God, then to, to yield back to you, to run back to you. You're a loving father. You're not doing this to indict us. You're doing it to help us but to run back to you and to have our faith proven genuine to pass these tests. Guide us, empower us, strengthen us, and help us in every way, Jesus, in your name.
Amen.